November, you may know, is Financial Literacy Month. And this year, uh, the focus is on debt. Uh, The Bank of Canada governor was spelling out uh, some hard truths today, at least according to him. Uh, Tiff Macklem stating kind of the obvious, saying low-income Canadians are the hardest hit by high inflation and will be disproportionately affected by the impending economic slowdown that we're expecting, at least the Bank of Canada is expecting. And he says, though, restoring low inflation, which is all the interest rate hikes are meant to do, will ultimately make all Canadians better off. Unfortunately, there is no easy out to restoring price stability. But once we rebalance demand and supply, growth will pick up. Our economy will grow solidly and the benefits of low and predictable inflation will be restored. Tiff Macklin, the Bank of Canada governor. It feels like a lot of, I mean, we know what the recipe book is from the Bank of Canada. You know, you, you raise interest rates, you quell demand, or you, at least you, you stifle demand, demand drops, prices drop, inflation drops, and we go back to normal, or at least back to something like normal. It doesn't seem to be working the same way. I mean, we saw some evidence that in the States, it is actually working to a certain extent. Um, but it's been tricky. There are so many different factors involved here that what may have worked 20, 30 years ago, which is sort of economic dogma, may not be working this time around. And the pain that it's causing a certain segment of this population has to make you wonder if there are ways that it could have been done differently. Uh, again, I'm not a governor. I'm not a Bank of Canada governor. You know, you leave the great decisions in the minds of those who know how, who are hired, paid handsomely to do it. But it feels like if both the solution, both the, you know, the disease and the cure are both painful to the most vulnerable parts of a society, it doesn't, it happens often, but it feels like something has to be, something isn't right, right? If both the disease and the cure hurt the same people um, who can least afford it, by the way. So when it comes to financial literacy, perhaps this is a time where all of us use a little refresher on our financial literacy. Um, It'll come as no surprise to you that Canadians across the spectrum are pretty gloomy about the state of their personal finances these days, Um, more so than they have been in more than a decade. One poll I was looking at showing that nearly half say their finances have worsened over the past year, 13% say they've improved. So half of Canadians are worse off, 13% say they're better off. And again, um, it comes in the middle of of these interest rates hikes, of, of price hikes that we're seeing across the board. So for some help on this, on financial literacy, understanding debt, some advice, joining me now is Natasha McMillan. She's Director of Everyday Banking at RateHub.ca. Natasha, thanks for your time. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, timely, I mean, this year particularly, uh, I know every year we pay attention to Financial Literacy Month, but this year a focus on debt, it feels like something that couldn't be more uh, necessary or timely uh, in 2022. Absolutely. I think we're all feeling a bit of a crunch as it's been coming through the Bank of Canada rates and things are just getting more and more expensive, unfortunately. When we look at debt, and just this is just maybe your, your personal perception of things, but how well do we really understand? How financially literate are we when it comes to things like debt and how it accrues? I think for the generic Canadian and the average person in us, we're aware of it, but don't necessarily understand the semantics of how often does it accrue, the total payment that ends up hitting us, um, and things like that. And so while we're aware that while we might have credit card debt or anything like that, 
we are aware of those interest payments coming out or it hitting us, but I don't think we fully understand that over time, the overall price that we're paying for it. Yeah, sometimes you see those um, infographics that explain how much you'll pay for something over the lifetime of it if you let the interest build up. I guess we don't really, maybe it's better now, but we didn't learn a lot of this in school, did we? At least as kids. No, we definitely didn't. And I know personally, my parents rarely had these conversations with me either. And it's something that I really think is important that we go out to students, especially those in high school, teach them about debt, teach them about these interest rates, and particularly in university. That's when a lot of students get their own their first credit card or start thinking about saving. And they don't really have a sense of what all that means or that full financial literacy picture. Yeah, I think I had that rude awakening in financial literacy with my first credit card at university. <laughs> you know, I think we all did. We were like, wait a second, that's a, you know, those payments are high. And if you just make the minimum payment, it never goes away, that sort of burden. Luckily, it was low, a low, um, a low max. But wow, that, yeah, that's, that's a tough way to learn things. So you put out some tips this year to try to help people out. Um, on on people who are entering, we're going into winter. Things are getting more expensive. Still, we have heating to worry about. Um, where does one start? Where where would you where do you think people should start when it comes to uh, to practicing better financial uh, ha- to developing better better financial habits this year? So our first tip is to start saving, even if it's a little tiny amount that you can go without noticing. So recommend always reviewing your monthly expenses identifying how much you're spending and starting to see where you might be able to trim these costs on non-essential items. Sometimes that's not possible and that's okay. But just being aware of how much your income is going out the door on things that you absolutely can't trim and then starting to identify where you can. So kind of creating that monthly budget and monitoring your spending. And then a tip that I personally have found useful is even just having an automatic um, transfer amount that comes out of your bank account when you get your paycheck, even as small as $10 goes a long way because you don't really notice money in those small increments sometimes. And that way it's being transferred directly into a high interest savings account or an investment account. And that just grows over time. So if that's an option, that will be great. And it'll start to help you save over time. Where are some of the hidden the hidden ones? Because I think a lot of people are pretty aware of of how much money they spend, say, on groceries. We've developed a bit of a sixth sense of when things are getting more expensive. But where do you think some of the the hidden costs are that people should be looking out for? Is it in sort of reoccurring monthly fees that they keep paying and don't have to be paying as much for them? Or where do you think some of those those savings might lie? So another big saving might be, um, of course, trying to pay off your debt as quickly or as reasonably as possible. And there's really two big ways to look at it. Um, so as a general rule, you should ideally keep your debt payment shouldn't add up more to 15 or 20% of your gross monthly income before taxes. Sometimes it can go higher. We understand that. And so it's recommended to either look at the debt avalanche or the snowball method. So the debt avalanche method advocates that you focus on the debt with the highest interest first, regardless of the total sum outstanding or your balance. And that way, you're actually hitting where it's going to cost you the most in the long run. Especially these days, I would imagine, because those costs are going up even further. Exactly. And so if you can focus on that, great. For some people, the snowball method actually works best, where it's if you've got debt on multiple credit cards, for example, 
ranking them from highest to lowest in terms of balance owing. So some people work really well of, I've paid the lowest balance off. It's kind of a win to your psyche and how you feel of like, I've got one credit card debt out of the way. And so it's really identifying what gives you that gratification and success metric at the end. For me personally, it's definitely kind of paying the least of interest where possible. So I'm someone who follows the debt avalanche method. But I know for my husband, for example, he's more in the snowball, getting rid of any small amount of one less thing to think of. So um, that would be kind of another key recommendation is finding what works for you and your family and with regards to paying off debt and kind of tackling that as a method together. I guess part of it is is like anything, it's trying to develop that discipline, right? So if if, if the interest avalanche uh, is something that, that you know it's probably going to work more effectively depending on what kind of debt you have, but the snowball uh, one may work as well if what you really need to do is develop that discipline to make sure you're that you're continuing, you're keeping on with it, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So we've seen great discussions in this past year with GICs. GICs are a great way to kind of save in a safe, conservative method. Of course, keeping in mind that typically you do put your money in for a specific term and it's hard to access your money for that during that term without paying a fee. But that's kind of another great way to kind of save money in this high interest rate environment. Yeah, these may be some options that people haven't heard about in years, right? Like in going back a long time, there's some options that are suddenly attractive again that you might not even have thought about in the last decade or more. Absolutely. Like I grew up hearing my parents talk about GICs and kind of never thought about them really until the last two years and more specifically this year. I've had number of friends kind of reach out being like, what GIC should we look at? Is this a worthwhile investment? And I think for the first time in 10 years or so, it's really back at the forefront of a great investment option, especially if you're looking for something safe, you're not quite comfortable with risk or anything like that. Natasha McMillan is with us this half hour. She's Director of Everyday Banking at RateHub.ca. We're talking about Financial Literacy Month. That is indeed Financial Literacy Month. This year's theme, uh, a timely one, debt. We've uh, gone over a few different ways you can approach debt. Also, the importance of saving, uh, the importance of diversifying your investments. We're talking about GIC, some of the things that you could look at now in 2022 that may harken back to you know 30 years ago, things you haven't looked at in that really low interest environment. They just didn't make any sense at all, but they might now. Um, Natasha, about credit cards, because you've talked about that as well, because that's an area where many, many Canadians fall into traps is, is through uh, either buy now, pay later, or credit cards. How should we be approaching that uh, that payment vehicle these days, given the circumstances? When it comes to specifically credit cards, always recommend ensuring that you're not falling for some of the gimmicks of sign up for this credit card with an amazing welcome bonus without actually thinking about the long-term plan if that fits within your spending. Because typically what we see is people get these credit cards and they use them to get the welcome bonus or the promotions, but they're spending on things they otherwise wouldn't necessarily need or spending that is outside of their realistic realm. What are some of the more obvious examples of that without naming names? <laughs> In other words, I think all of us as Canadians are very aware of every credit card, especially going into the holiday season is coming out with these amazing reward programs. So whether it's get more aero plan points or get more membership reward points, 
every credit card, I would say today has great bonuses that kind of are trying to attract users. Some of them extremely helpful. There are some great offers with regards to kind of balance transfer credit cards or low interest credit cards, but just being conscious of spending what is realistic as opposed to spending just to get that welcome bonus. What about the low low interest um, credit cards? Always a good option for people these days because oftentimes the rewards, I mean, they're nice, but how often do you use the rewards? I have a cashback one that's that's effective, but the rewards ones, I just don't use as much anymore. Credit card reward programs are great for those who pay off their monthly balance every month. Typically, you pay a month uh, an annual fee with these reward programs, and you really don't get the benefit if you're paying those interest payments. So if you are someone who has a monthly balance or you carry a monthly balance, we recommend really looking at low interest credit cards or no annual fee credit cards. And those typically are ones that the rewards aren't as great. Uh, Perhaps some of the perks and the benefits are not up for uh, competition with some of the other cards, but you're also not paying for them. Yeah, I, I guess it makes sense just to pull out that list of advantages you get with the card and try to figure out exactly how many of them you actually ever use. Exactly. And I was a big um, advocate of this. And I realized once I kind of started focusing more and more on credit cards through my career of, oh, wow, I have a credit card that I don't use any of the benefits for and I pay yeah. an annual fee. And when you start that list and you check off how much of it you actually use, I think many people would be very shocked of how little of their benefit programs do they actually use. You've, you've spoken too about the cashback ones. What are your thoughts on, on those? Because they're popular now. Uh, certainly through the pandemic, they became increasingly popular because no one was using their travel rewards, right? Yeah. Cashback um, throughout the pandemic was a great hit, especially as travel was becoming more and more restrictive. And we're starting to see, um, again, another resurgence of them, largely because people are feeling a bit tight on cash with everything going on. And so It is really good to look at where you're spending. So um, a lot of people are spending on groceries and gas, and there are credit cards out there that give you a higher cashback rate for those spending categories. So really important to look at where you spend and trying to identify a credit card that matches that. I know for me, groceries and gas is a big one. I've got kind of two kids. And so the CIBC, for example, Dividend Visa Infinite is a great card that offers 4% cash back in those spaces. Oh wow! But again, really only recommend kind of the reward programs for those that are kind of paying off their monthly balance. Natasha McMillan, thank you so much. Thank you. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.